1: Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave Bold Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. So welcome to the Brave Bold Brilliant podcast. I'm here today with a fellow Mancunian. It is Lawrence Newman, who is the founder and CEO of Current Body. So welcome, Lawrence. Nice to see you.
0: Thank you very much. Really a pleasure to be on. (laughs)
1: Excellent so you were saying before we started recording that you know this is a bit of a new venture you're pushing out your comfort zone coming on this podcast so that's exactly some of the things we're going to be talking about so it's great that you're here.
0: Yeah this is my first podcast and obviously I've heard some of your previous ones and I'm very honoured to have been asked in such illustrious company to uh, to be on it. uh,
1: Oh you say all the right things I promise to be kind to you. (laughs) <laughs> so fantastic so I think we're going to be well I know we're going to be having a really great conversation about entrepreneurship starting a business scaling raising finance you know and everything that you've kind of gone through really in your entrepreneurial journey but without me giving too much away Lawrence do you want to give us a quick canter through sort of where life started for you how you've ended up here with the uh the fantastic business that you've got
0: absolutely um so I'm CEO, as you say, and and founder of a company called Current Body. And uh, I think people always wonder what Current Body actually does. We sell electrical health and beauty products. um, Effectively, the types of products that typically you'd go and have a treatment on in a clinic or salon or spa, and maybe even a hospital that have been miniaturized and, and can be used at home. And effectively, those things just didn't exist. And it was an idea of mine 13 years ago that at some point people would use these types of technologies um and they'd be effective and safe to be used in the comfort of your own home so i guess that was my that was my idea my actual background is in supplying devices into clinics and into spas and the professional units. so that's how i kind of formulated the idea and um it resonated when we were having a chat before you talking about the travel industry um I think with all these things, they start with an idea and people always go, well, what, what made you think of it? Um, and I was actually working on cruise ships. I I'm, I'm guessing you've been on a few, a few cruise lines. <laughs> yes, yeah.
1: yeah, just a few.
0: There you go. And and back in the day, I'm saying back in the day, probably like um, 99, 2000, um, I suppose on cruise ships back then, people only did two or three things, didn't they? They either, obviously they sunbathe, they gambled, And they ate a lot and probably still do now, drank a lot. And then they'd go to the spa and the spa was a place where people went really for a massage or for whatever the sort of face treat or body treatment that they had at the time. I think now you can go on a ship and have Botox, Restylane, collagen, fillers, whatever you like. They're like floating, uh, floating clinic. So I was kind of there right at the beginning and I was supplying a piece of equipment to the spa um which helped people actually for lymphatic drainage you found a lot of women in, especially when they traveled a long distance um or like the salt in the food they were carrying a lot of fluid and um, so it was a treatment effect that stimulated the lymph nodes and helped people um really feel better detox whilst they're on the ship so we kind of had a captive audience um what i didn't have was the ability to sell anything to the to, to the client after they'd had a the treatment and you had this sort of this lady lying there, and some men as well, he'd be lying there, having a treatment. You had a chance to speak to them, um, tell them what the problems were and how we might be able to help. And then, of course, you had a great chance to sell them some aftercare. And usually, they were sold some form of, I think it might have been LMS or some form of cream or potion afterwards. Um, and so I thought that there must be a way of having a, a treatment, I suppose, that you could miniaturize, and actually you could sell them a small device that they could carry on and have the treatments after they've been on the ship. Um, so I went away, uh, went to a big medical exhibition uh, in Germany called Medica and found a specialist manufacturer of um, electrical muscle stimulation. And at the time, the only thing maybe you'll be familiar with were things like Slendertone, which were you know those, those belts actually um, you know, still, still sell to this day, um, and found a miniature device that I could sell on the ships. And we started selling it to them. And that's really kind of how I had the idea that at some point these these devices, I suppose, would be a thing. Um, And it was an interesting few years working on the cruise ships, I've got to say. But one thing I learned was that the face-to-face contact and the ability to to actually talk to the client uh, was the most important thing. Very difficult to sell to someone unless you've got the opportunity to spend some time and speak to them. And when I put that fast forward, you know, 20 years now, effectively what Current Body does is as an expert in beauty devices, it still speaks to its customer and tells them everything they need to know about these products because everyone in beauty and health, everyone's different, whether it be their skin, whether it be their beauty routines. And so giving them that rich content was always, how do, you know, how do we manage to do that? And that's really how my, my ideas started.
1: Wow, God, that's fantastic! So, so actually, I guess you got your idea by being really close to the customer and doing a lot of listening and and sort of really understanding what the what the pain points were and and as you say, an opportunity to kind of monetize that and to sell it. And um, and today's business, your current body is mainly a digital business, isn't it, Lauren? from from my understanding.
0: Yeah. So to pick up the story, and and again, I. Um, I knew nothing about e-commerce, but I truly believed that in order to scale a business and, and, and have uh, the ability to speak to customers around the world, it couldn't be done in traditional bricks and mortar. But back then, again, most retailers were the, you know, traditional bricks and mortar was very much the, um, the way in which people felt that you had to be able to sell. And the prestige of it, apart from anything else, meant that brands expected to be there, um, and what I had to do at the beginning of the journey was really persuade brands of which there weren't very many, by the way, that, that there were no real devices to sell, maybe a few, was that actually these products should be sold online because that was the way in which you could speak to the most customers and also explain to them properly why it works, why it doesn't work, videos, rich content and all the things that we now know, of course, are so important when it comes to econ. Um Going back to, I suppose, going back to the story very very quickly, um, what actually happened was I then realized that I had to set up an ecom business to do it, and I had no e-com experience whatsoever. I had no idea. Um and by chance, I was introduced to a friend of a friend, as these things often often, often are. Um, and he said, look this uh, this this guy has got a an online business selling digital cameras." And of course, digital cameras are doing pretty well. I think he was doing about 7 million online in digital cameras. And then, of course, these things came along, holding up my uh, iPhone, um, and all of a sudden, you know, had a bit of a dip. Um, and we have a bit of a laugh now because actually digital cameras have made a huge resurgence, which I find quite enjoyable. Um, but um, uh, at the time, he was struggling. And I said, look, I think that, the you know, the concept of what you do, selling digital cameras, not that, dif- not that different to um, to selling beauty devices online and we set up the business the next day i met him for a coffee and we set up the business the next day um, 51 49% cuz obviously it was my idea but uh, without him i absolutely couldn't have uh, got the business to where it is now
1: fantastic and that's andrew showman isn't it who's uh, you know very much sort of there as your business partner
0: yeah and i think you know when you talk about business partners and that is one of the most important you know parts of any relationship of how the two of you um, get on apart from anything else. And we have absolutely no overlapping skill sets. Um, And I think that's probably one of the main reasons why we formed such a good partnership over the years.
1: Yeah. So how how did that evolve then? Because obviously, you know, you met. I mean, that's pretty, pretty fast down the altar, isn't it? And the marriage. (laughs) Within within a day, a day of meeting each other. I mean, I'm sure you you know, obviously, you came recommended and all of the rest of it. Must the chemistry must have been good? Um, but I would imagine in your early startup phase, you know, you're kind of doing a bit of everything. You know, roll your sleeves up. Um, you haven't got the big team behind you or any of that kind of stuff. So, how has the partnership evolved from those early days of starting out together, um, and to sort of what it is today?
0: So it's an interesting one, really, because when you start out, obviously, we started out with absolutely nothing. We we built this from zero and we put a website together. And actually, most of what we were selling at the beginning was not on the website. It was on Amazon. It was on eBay. And We were effectively trading, trading a little bit. Some of the products that we could trade. And we used to call it a hobby um, because both both of us still had other businesses. We had families. We still had to pay mortgages. Um, And then you reach to that point, don't you, where suddenly you go, well, actually, is this a genuine business opportunity? Um, And at that stage, I did something different to what I'd done in my previous businesses. And my previous businesses have been fine, but they kind of might have reached a sort of glass ceiling and decided that actually, you know, if we put a proper structure and a proper strategy around this, is there an ability to, to really grow this into a market leader in in home use beauty devices um and we actually and this might be a bit cliche but it actually happened we put on a whiteboard you know to be the online destination for home use beauty devices and we still have the whiteboard and and that still is the mission of the business and whenever we have new starters in the business I spend time going through the journey that we went on and go back to that original revisit the original um idea and 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 how I felt that it, it you know, it was it, it was a possible vision for, for for that. And I suppose we then set upon um, a journey in which we looked at what that looked like to be the online destination and kind of worked backwards from there. And it was, okay, if you're going to be the absolute destination for home use beauty devices, you have to cover every category. You have to cover every technology. You have to have your own products. You have to have your own, you, you know, you have to have your own brand. And we looked at, things in a completely different way and much more mature way, probably to what I'd ever done before. Um, I've actually been, you know, I've been in a board meeting where people have sort of described me sometimes as like a market trader. Well, I don't see that as anyone, you know, I don't see that as a slight on my, uh, you know, my, on the way I do business, but effectively we were trading. Trading is one thing, it's all part of business, but you have to then, if you're going to make something out of your business... Put a proper strategic plan together and understand how you're going to get there. And for the first time in my career, I actually put something down and started on an absolutely a proper journey.
1: Yeah, no, that is um, that's so that's so great you share that because you know I do a lot of advisory work and I work individual with with sort of CEOs and business founders as well about how they can scale up and. I think we were saying before we press record, you know, often what's got you to a certain level won't get you to the next stage. And it is around sort of professionalising it. Not, not trying to sap the entrepreneurial spirit, but you, you do need more rigour, don't you? And I think you're right. Start with the end in mind and work backwards. And, and then that roadmap, that strategy, which is how you're going to get there, um, you know, is, is obviously going to keep you, keep you on track, isn't it? Um, I think
0: that's right. And, and, and I don't think there's a right or wrong route either, by the way, and I get, because I've kind of done the journey, I think there's always that tough journey from naught to five million, and then five to 20 million and 20, and because I've done the sort of the different yards in those areas, people often ask me about, you know, you know, a, would you do something differently and b, um, you know, what made you take that, the, you know, the path that you did and, I, and actually I said, well, you don't have to take that path. You know, a lifestyle business can be just as good as going down a private equity route to sell a business. There's loads of different ways you can look at it. But fundamentally, you've got to have the idea at the beginning and have a really, really clear vision of what you want at the end of it. And I think you often find entrepreneurs in the beginning, they, they're they a bit hazy on on that on that that particular kind of key vision for it. And that's as important as anything. And then the next bit really is to surround yourself with people who can help you get them. And I think the most challenging part of a small business and the thing I learned, the hardest thing I learned was really that you can't afford good people at the beginning, so you know that that's just a fact. You know you can't just dive in. You haven't got any money, so you you know effectively you're over trading all the time and you're chasing everything is cash flow. These are all just normal problems of a small business, and then effectively you sit there and say, right, we need to raise some money. And once you decide you need to raise some money, you're in a whole different world, aren't you? And uh, as I said before, you, you know that's that's when the strategy really changes and 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 well I say the strategy changes that's when the whole um, dynamics change of, of of what the business is likely to look like
1: yeah brilliant well listen we're going to talk about the raising finance and and how you you know because every business is different and you're right you know there are certain Certain, um often certain turning points for businesses or crossroads where you actually say, OK, well, how do we how do we get to the next stage? Do we want to get there? What does it look like? And, and you know, what does that mean from a cash and finance point of view? But in terms of the business as it is today, correct me if I'm wrong, you've now got 14 million users, um, Lawrence, and I was reading on the bio Seventeen international websites. We're
0: up, 20, we're up to twenty-two sites now. Yeah, twenty.
1: Ooh, wow! That's that's incredible. That's incredible. And in terms of sort of other key metrics for you, you know, that you you would regularly look at into the to sort of give people a flavour of the size because you have literally gone from zero um, to to what you what you are today. What does that look like apart from the sort of the the number of users and the websites that you've got?
0: I think when I look at the most important thing with any business it's people isn't it so Mm. when it was Andrew and I that was all very well and good when we were you know very small but as we grew and as we took priority money everyone always wants to know that what does the layer below look like what does the you know have have you got a third a third arm to you know also to you know to the senior senior team how does that how does that evolve and so I think we're up to about 120 now staff um we've got an incredible senior team got some amazing women working within the business and you know when i look at um our ops team my 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 head of ops is a female which i think is you know very very rare these days especially in the types of work she has to do in terms of logistics and warehousing and 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 the like so um the biggest change in the business and the biggest metric really is the people and the level of people that we've got now we've also got a really significant uh, board. it's no secret Simon Cooper is on my board, who's the CEO of On the Beach. Um, and in the early days, he probably saved us at least two to three years in strategic planning for the international rollout of our of our sites and our general e-commerce strategy. So that was a, that you know that I think that that's it, an incredible thing for a business our size to have that 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 knowledge around the board table. Really took on a chairman, and I think small businesses often think, well, I don't need a chairman. Don't need a board, you know, don't necessarily need to have regular board meetings, but put, putting some governance around what you're doing, even when you're small, will pay you some dividends back as you as you you know as you grow. So they were the kind of key metrics, I think, from a people perspective that we did. Um, in terms of the metrics I now look at, I'm kind of still, I know everyone always says when you get to a certain size, it's all about being on the business and not in the business. But I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm still in the weeds of this, and I look at you know, we sell one product for £2,000 a unit. I still look at when they're coming in. I look at the type of customer that buys them. I look at where they're based. Um, so I'm absolutely on the 30 minutes, one hourly, you know, all of those reports on where the orders are coming from, which territories they're coming from, what ca- what channels they're coming from, most importantly, what's, what's driving it because Econ's all about, you know, driving traffic, increasing conversion rates, and you know it doesn't matter what you're selling everything comes down to those key
1: metrics yeah, fantastic. No, that's great. So, you know, obviously the business is is pretty sizable now from zero to, you know, 120 plus people is, is, uh, is in, imp- well, from two, actually, not zero, two, two people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one. <laughs> well, one, <laughs> one, one, and then two, and then, and then there you are today. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned earlier, Lawrence, about you got to a certain size and scale and you went, right, okay, now we need, um, we need funding, we need to step up and we can't do that just from the cash that's in the existing business we need to raise some money so was that um a difficult decision for you because up to that point you're in control of your own destiny really um whereas as soon as you start raising finance whether it's from a vc or an angel or a private equity or whichever sense all of a sudden it stops being just about you guys and and in control of your own destiny you've got other stakeholders that have got quite an influence so was it an easy decision and what did you kind of go through when sort of deciding what the right solution was going to be for you on the finance side
0: it's a really good question and um there's probably talked to hours about the private equity um but let if if you just go back to basics, effectively you need some cash. And once you've remortgaged the house and done all the sort of things that typically entrepreneurs do to um, you know, raise the capital uh, that gives you enough to buy some stock and your warehousing and postage and all the rest of it when you're very small. Um you've got you've got a decision to make and usually you've got to go to a bank, if anything. And if you're not making any money, the bank's not going to lend you anything. And we were no different, you know, went down the Traditional route, trying to borrow some money, you couldn't borrow any money. So you're then into two, two or three options. One's business angels, really. Um, but we felt that this had um, a bit more about it, I suppose, in terms of a business idea and a potential growth story that you know has kind of stood the test of time. I suppose that the way to do this was to go down private equity route. I think where um, you know where, where you talk about giving giving away. Um look, it's all about the big picture, isn't it? What do you you know, having a very small part of something big or having a big part of something small, again, fairly cliche, but going down a private equity route, as long as you understand what you're getting into, I think it's absolutely the right thing for lots of businesses of, of this size. What's what what I would tell my younger self now is just have that to have a level of experience of what it means to have a private equity um fund around the boardroom table. Um, and there are lots of positives, and I know people talk about some of the negatives, but effectively, you know, the support that they can give you, and some of the um, the, the door openings, the PR that it gives the business, um, the strength that it gives the business financially, and um, probably outweighs some of the negatives that you're talk- that you're alluding to, which is, oh, all of a sudden I'm losing control. But you know, if you're a fairly strong founder and CEO, and a lot of the ideas stem from your vision. Then you should never be concerned really about losing any control.
1: Yeah, no, I think that that's that's absolutely spot on, you know. And then like you say, there comes a point where you're either gonna stagnate and stay where you are, or you, you're gonna need something like that in order to, to kind of fund the growth. And yeah, a small, arguably a smaller percentage of a of a big business is actually gonna be a bigger number at the end of the day. <laughs> or could be a bigger number at the end of the day. Um,
0: and actually the biggest challenge. To, in private equity, in, in my head, is actually not once the money's come in and you've got to do something with it. It's raising the cap. It's the actual route to raising the capital, and the amount of time and the amount of people who, I suppose, the ability to take your eye off the ball whilst you're raising right raising money at the same time. You have to run the business, and as you well know, while you're raising capital, they're looking at your numbers all the time. They want to know that you're growing. They want to know your revenue is growing at the pace that you said it's going to grow. At the same time, you're having meetings as well, doing DD. And so that process is always a real challenge to any business and a real challenge to any of the senior management. So having the right people around you, a good CFO, a good chairman, um, some non-execs who can take some of the weight of the, um, you know, a little bit of, the, of your moaning, I suppose, as well, uh, and understand that someone who's done it before, I think is absolutely invaluable for any, any, anyone going down that route.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely, absolutely right. You know, then what's the saying? Learn from your own mistakes. Well, no, learn from the mistakes of others, actually, if you can to, to kind of hopefully you make as many through the process. And the chemistry is important, isn't it? You know, because you talked about due, DD, due diligence in, in any kind of deal, whether you're buying, selling or bringing a you know PE or VC into your business or whatever in terms of the finance side of it. DD often tends to focus more on the numbers, the commercial, the legal, the tax, all of that kind of stuff. But I always think in any situation like this, it's the the human due diligence, if you like. You know, can you get on with these guys? You know, what's it going to feel like when trading is tough and you're sat around the board table trying to figure it out? You know, because that really is often the side that I think gets neglected, but is really so, so, so important, you know, because you're getting in bed with someone, aren't you, ultimately?
0: It's, it's, it's absolutely that, that chemistry, but also... Um the other thing that I think it is, is just do they genuinely believe in what you're doing? You know, I'm, I look at going back to beauty devices. It's quite an unusual, it's, they're unusual products. It's a niche. It's not so much now and COVID's given it clearly some tailwind because people have been looking for products to use at home and the rest of it. It was already growing before COVID, but it's still a niche. And if I was sat around a dinner table and someone said, what do you do? I said, oh, I, you know, I sell home use beauty products. You know, well, what's one of them? And so that's at that level. You're then round a effectively a boardroom table doing some due diligence with a you know often a reasonably stuffy financial person and saying, well, actually, yeah, I sell an LED mask. And um, you know, so them getting to getting them to believe that this is actually a market that's growing, that's exciting, that that crosses boundaries, that is got demographics of, of men and women. Of all ages from all parts of the world and that we're at the embryonic stage of the market is a whole different a whole different ball game. and the challenge always for current body was trying to tell that story and you know you're telling a story where they would always say to me well why didn't you grow a bit quicker why wh- how's it why is it taking you this long and I used to have to say well because there wasn't any products to sell so you know this was and these were the types of the more the DD story was very much down, the, I suppose the the commercial DD, if you like, looking at the market size, and they'd say, "Well, what's the market size?" And I'll say, "Well, I don't know what the market size is, but it's bloody big because everybody wants to look and feel better." Um, there hadn't been any, you know, there wasn't there wasn't market reports out there, Jeanette, if you like, and the market reports that out, that were out there, I'd contributed to and given them the information, so I was just regurgitating what i told the marketing that people for their reports, so. The challenge was not just the chemistry, but it was, do they truly believe in what I actually want to do here? And that was a challenge. And I think that still is a challenge, to be honest, with everyone that, you know, I, 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 you know, when I'm holding up an LED mask here, like, you know, you, you can see, but, you know, it's quite funny for people. But the reality is, that's the same LED that people go and have in a clinic every day of the week to make them, you know, to give their, their collagen a boost in their face. Um, but trying to explain that to someone. You know, it's, it's quite difficult. Which, of course, lends itself to why it's so difficult to explain it to a customer.
1: let's talk about the products then, Lawrence. Because I'm going to be excited when you show me your mask, <laughs> You're like the mask of Zorro. Here we are. Um, <laughs> but on a serious, serious note, you're you're right. You know, what do we all want to do? We all want to feel good about ourselves, have confidence, and it's it's often not actually the the physical side. It's more the the mindset and how how it makes you feel when you when you you know you look and you feel good, etc. So let's talk a little bit about the products that you offer, And um, because anyone that's listening, they might be thinking, oh, bloody hell, I need the LED mask. Um, (laughs) How can I get involved? Um, And just really to sort of, I suppose, get get people excited about how the innovation in this space is really making, you know, I I guess, the art of the possible at home.
0: Yeah, and uh, look, it's worth just, before I tell you about our own LED mask, just going back to the kind of business story, we, you know, as it grew, we were selling third-party brands. And you can only... You can only go so far, can't you? Selling other people's products, and you know, you talked before about how many websites you've got. You know, suddenly you have twenty-two international sites, but then you'll have one product. You know, let's say it's a L'Oreal product, and they say, "Well, you can't sell it in Germany, you can't sell it in Spain." You know, so there's all these types of restrictions around how you can market it, and the only really way to to have some um, control over what you're doing, and also of course, margin and uh, and all the rest of it that comes with it is to have your own product. Um, so I went away and I wanted to find a category and a technology that didn't conflict with anything else we did. Um, so we're already selling, and again, you know, these are probably people go for clinic treatments. They might not always know what these things are, but laser hair removal, you know, or IPL as a, you know, intense pulse lights. Um, radio frequency for skin tightening, microcurrent for you know, stimulating the muscles on the face. But LED has always been a treatment that people kind of understand. It's a light and they know that you know, whether, um, you know whether they've had a sports injury and they've had some light put on them or whether they've got some psoriasis and they've used light for that type of thing or just general facial rejuvenation. When you go to a clinic, you often sit under an LED light because it gives you that instant glow. Well, I felt that this—if we were going to go into our own brand—and going back to my strategy, it was always to have these buckets of products, but underneath each bucket to have one current body product underneath each one of our own brand. And I was clear that that was like where we should be. And the LED space was completely unoccupied at home. Um, and of course, now I think if you, whenever you go on Instagram or Facebook, there's probably LED masks popping up all over the place. Hopefully, ours is the first one. Um, and I went away and 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 we developed our own LED mask. And you know it's now um, our number one product. it It outsells every other everything else that we do. Um, we're developing it with 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 companies that effectively make the clinical grade LEDs as well. Um, and it's easy, I suppose you talked before to me a bit about the social media era, but Everyone can see what it is. Like you put it on the face, it might be humorous at times, but everyone knows that's an LED mask. And um, so, the problem with beauty devices is always how much explaining you have to do. And all of a sudden, there's this big. This is a visual product, and it lends itself to social. It lends itself to the website. It lends itself to videos and, um, yeah, you know, to podcasts and whatever else it may be. It lends itself to to talking about it. And I think that's given us a huge uh, a huge change in, in everything that. In everything that we've done so that was a big shift for the business and the current body brand as in the website now has current body skin which is the brand of product and we have a whole suite of leds we've just launched one i'm going to show you this one's for the lip so you see this one and um, basically this works on on the lip and often uh, people have aging around the lip sometimes we call it smoker's lip with them lines that are at the top here basically a it like that so there's all sorts of different um different treatments now that we're starting to uh to develop so that's that's where our own brand has started to really uh, really evolve
1: well it's exciting isn't it i mean it's the innovation it's the differentiation because otherwise you're in a me too space and of course the impacts commercially by having something differentiated unique and exclusive um i know you'll always get people copying but exclusive to you then that's a totally different proposition for the customer but also financially on your margins as well right
0: absolutely and you know as i said before you know no restrictions on where it can be sold and of course you know all of a sudden the margins um are significant but also we we know that you know the marketing spend that we're you know in a significant market we're putting in we're getting the value out of it as opposed to working with building other people's brands which we do very well by the way and we continue to work with and making strategic partners in the space. And that's the great thing about LED, it doesn't conflict with any of that. Um, so that's been, a good, that's been a good strategy for us. Um, and interesting, it's kind of stood the test of time because it's something, again, that was on the original piece of paper. I had no idea what I was going to do, by the way, but it was on the original piece of paper that I might do something like that. And it's, um, yeah, and it's developed in that way. So, you know, that's that's been good. And look, I'm not going to hide from the fact that COVID's given it a bit of a push because... Again, nobody was looking for these products. And so, you know, again, when people talk about the pace of this business, it was hard because you had to go and tell people about something that they didn't even know existed. You know, whereas you may look for whatever product it is that you know that you keep buying every three months. We've actually got to go and tell someone, oh, there is something out here, by the way, that's an alternative to what you do in a clinic. Um, And it was only really when, you know, with COVID, that suddenly the spikes in search volume that you see for people going hair removal at home anti-aging at home and that gave us a little bit of a, a push which was welcome really but we were already 100% in growth at that stage so it was i call it a tailwind rather than a complete you know complete change in the business if that makes sense
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, it shows, doesn't it? You know, through any adverse situation, there will always be opportunities. And it's actually catching that wave and recognising it and then cracking on pretty damn quick so that you don't miss the boat with it. So I think it's fantastic. It's giving you an extra boost. Like you say, you were already on the journey anyway. Um, So Lawrence, can I just talk a little bit around um, the customer? You you know, you, you started talking about the customer when you were on the cruise ships in the sort of early years, if you like, and how that provided the inspiration some of the inspiration for you to it with the initial idea um how do you keep it sort of close to your customer and changing needs and trends and things like that now because obviously you've got the innovation side of the business constantly I'm sure you're always thinking about what next can you develop and how do you stay ahead of the game but how how do you um sort of make sure given you're a digital business that you're in touch with customers and you're testing and learning all the time you
0: sound like someone on my board already today (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the hard, the hardest part of growing the business at this point is, and look, if I go back, when you've only got a few customers, you can speak to them all, right? And you can give amazing customer service and you can um, you can deal with them exactly how you want to be dealt with if you're a customer buying products at this level. As you scale and as you scale internationally, customer services become one of the biggest challenges. I'm not going to hide from that. And um, Actually, if I look at my ethos of this business, it stems from also working in clinics and working in clinic environment. And I think the biggest issue in the beauty industry is always expectations, um, telling people something that they're not gonna get at the end of the treatment. And I'm actually a great believer that in two things, if you can't make someone better, don't make them worse. And I think no result is not the end of the world, by the way, if you ever went to a clinic and had a, or have an invasive treatment, if you've got no result, that's par you get a good result that's good anything under that is a problem so that was always my ethos the other one was like you know don't over treat people don't need treatment and then there's also this concept that people buying buying products where they don't actually know what they you know what they're getting and they don't know whether it's going to work not work what happens if it doesn't work might have the wrong skin type hair type so it's not so much the aftercare that you know we're obviously working on being better at is how you tell the customer before they buy it that they're buying the right thing and how you manage their expectations so that when they do get it the result they get is exactly what they thought it would be and if it's no result you know well we told you there's a possibility it might not work on that particular thing but here's another opportunity or another option for you and if you say and i don't have the answer to this at this stage we are trying our best to scale it and actually it's one of the things that saying about the board, at the end of our board, we now look at CS and the metrics around our customer service and how we can improve it because, you know, I look at some of our, you know, some of the customers now, I still get people who will send me a LinkedIn message. So I get a customer who will, you know, I'm sure you might have done it when you've exasperated it, like, you're exasperated at someone's customer service and you, you go on LinkedIn and you find the CEO of the company. It still happens to me and I find that, like, I've I feel I feel gut wrenched when i when I see one, and I always deal with it. Um, so and Andrew was even worse with you know his customer service was immaculate for for digital cameras. So you're absolutely right. getting close to a customer was always what we did, and it was always how we learned about what they wanted, what they didn't want, what products we might be able to develop. Now it's becoming harder. Um, And that's one of the challenges of a growing e-com businesses. And you'll have seen it with so many, you know, so many e-com businesses over the years of all of a sudden you see, you know, I could name many generalist beauty companies that have struggled as they've grown in terms of supporting their customers and losing losing their USP. You know, we're an expert in beauty devices, so you have to behave like an expert, which means information before you buy it, support after you've purchased it. So you have to behave like one. And behaving like one at scale is much harder to behaving like one when you've got 10 orders a day.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And it is, it's a conundrum, isn't it? It's it's growing pains and it's scaling up and, and the challenges that come with that, in particular in the digital world. I mean, I was, you know, if you take a business like EasyJet, I've interviewed Johan Lundgren, who's the group CEO of EasyJet and Gary Wilson, actually, who's the, MD, uh, the, sorry, the CEO of EasyJet Holidays. And, you know, where you've got great technology solutions for a, a certain process, whether it's an air, you know, it's an air journey or, or you know, it's current body products when everything's going well, that's fantastic because it allows the efficiency and the scaling up. It's when things don't go well that then that human intervention is so important, isn't it? And trying to get that right balance. Um, but yeah, I mean, feedback is the breakfast of champions, as they say, it's good or bad. Um, so, you know, yes, we all have to deal with sort of unhappy customers at certain points in our career. And I think it's important as a CEO that you know, when there is an issue, that you do you do lead from the front. You know, and you support the teams to to excel at customer service when they can. But there are times when you just have to get involved, isn't there? And that that's part and parcel. That's
0: cool. cool. Yeah. And to be fair, one of the great bits of advice I had from from Simon uh, back in the day, because obviously he scaled, you know, amazing business in on the beach and previous ones before that. Um, he said you need to put the customer service in before you have the orders. And. Um, it's easier said than done because you're thinking, well, you've only got a certain pound to spend and you know, you want to put it into marketing, you want to put it into development. You don't necessarily want to put it into people sitting there not answering the phone or an email. But what he said was, of course, you know, if you put it in too late, you're gonna have a problem. And that was his experience, and that was really, really helpful. We actually probably didn't listen to it enough. And and now we're, you know, you know, you start putting more people in for Black Friday nine months before Black Friday, not the day before Black Friday, so you know it's it's those sort of learnings that hopefully, you know, hopefully we're getting a we're getting a little bit better at. And honestly, you know, when one of the issues with customer service, of course, is, is staff. You know, you know, people wanting to work from home, competition, cost of living, all of those things become quite difficult for for customer service. And we're we're finding that quite a, quite a significant conundrum. And I I'm probably a bit more stuck in that than than I've been before because. It needs resolving.
1: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Can we talk a little bit about you as an entrepreneur and as a business leader? Um, You know, because we've talked a lot about the business and the strategy and kind of how you've got to where you've got to, which is fantastic. Um, But it isn't easy uh, running your own business. It isn't easy being a CEO. It's very lonely at the top sometimes in whichever business you're in. And, um, you know, so can you just talk a little bit about kind of how you keep yourself in good shape, whether physically, mentally, you know, because you will have had a lot of strain over the years. It's not all wonderful in the garden, is it, when you're doing this kind of thing? So how do you make sure that you protect yourself and be in the best kind of shape as a, as a leader?
0: Wow. Um, well, if I'm honest, I've probably spent my life playing sport. And I think without that, I I would completely struggle um and I'm reasonably simple I like playing football um I still play at a reasonable level I find that anything like that I can completely switch off from everything else that's going on in my life in my business life Um, actually it terrifies me most that I'm getting too old to do some of those things so I'm probably starting to look at you know what's the next thing you know uh what the next sort of sporting option is to you know to to actually uh, keep a healthy mind, and honestly, that I think I said to you before. Uh, you know, today's podcast. You know, I went to the gym before. I usually go in the evening, but you know, just finding a gap to do that is so important to me. If I if I can't find that gap, I'm not a nice person to live with, and I'm probably not a particularly nice person around the business. So my healthy mind is always from sport. Um, I watch sport as well. I think I told you, season ticket in Manchester City so my last um, 10 years have been particularly enjoyable which has probably helped my framing as well <laughs> 30, the 35 years before that not so much um but but you know that that's how i honestly i know that sounds really simple but that is how i how, how i've kept a uh, healthy mind and i also still really enjoy the market that i'm in and the um uh, it's a really exciting and interesting uh, part of the beauty industry generally and like enjoying something that you do actually enjoying you um, enjoying you know the the business is is significant when you're not enjoying it it reflects on everyone else and they can sense it and I people have said to me past you know when I come into the office and I come into the office every day if my shoulders are down I think it tends to impact on everybody so I flick a switch whatever mood I'm in and try and be you know show show that I'm you know I'm leading the business in the right way um, but it often depends on you know whether I've whether I've played some sport, whether I've made it to the gym, whether I've had about six copies. Um, so that's you know that's where I am. It's fairly simple, like having a pint and you know that's I'm walking my dog. Um, I also have four children, a wife and four children. So I'm kept fairly busy. I have um, I have identical twin boys who are six years old, which was a bit of a surprise to everyone. Uh, I have a seventeen year old son and a thirteen year old daughter. So. Um, I don't have too much time, Jeanette, you know, to think about um, the rest of what's going on. I'm, I'm kept pretty busy.
1: Yeah, God, it sounds like it. My sister had identical twin boys as well, so she had four kids. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't easy.
0: That probably tell, you know, tells all, all you know. And I, and I think also the environment that we built at Kurumbody, um, I'll be brutally honest, when, you know, seven, eight years ago, wasn't such a nice office to go into as a hybrid warehouse um, it was cold. Um, there, you know, we were we were all helping packing and all sorts of different areas of the business. And now I'm in an amazing place in Audley Park. Um, uh, really, you know, proper um, premises for a business that's heading towards where it's going. And, and 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 it feels like a feels like a significant place to be, inspiring in many ways. And uh, lots of great tech businesses here um, on the park. And I and actually look forward to coming in.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. Because you're right, you know, when you're busy, you can often, sometimes people neglect the self-care. And actually, you know, it's a bit like when they say, when you get on the aircraft, if you, you, know, you put your own oxygen mask on first. And, and the reality is, if you're not in good shape, you, then you can't actually be the best for the people around you, whether it's in business or your personal life. And uh, yeah, I'm the same. If I've not done my training, I'm just not on my game. Um, it's just the way it is. That's my thing. For someone else, it might be, as simple as i don't know go and have a little walk in in the countryside or whatever whatever your thing is but protect yourself and make sure that you don't totally uh neglect your well-being i think and that's through covid as well we've learned that a lot haven't we you
0: know yeah and i think covid you know was probably the what you know i ended up probably like most people running i bought a bike did all the things that everyone pretty much did but you know without it without you know that level of exercise that I did, I just I don't think I would have coped with it. Plus we were running a process. Um, you know, nobody in the office. Um, you know, and if we talk about COVID, my my backers at the time, like all private equity, were looking at, well, what does the bus what does the business look like closed? And that's what they are difficult conversations to have. We were, you know, when I look back at that, we didn't furlough anybody, you know, and we absolutely could have, you know, gone down the route of uh, a lot that a lot of businesses did, but we 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 decided, or I decided, that actually, you know what? This is probably the most significant stage for the business, and it was even before COVID. So we had to just stay completely focused on the plan. Um, and whereas our private equity kind of dynamic was, look, guys, well, what happens if we can't ship anything out? What happens if you have shut the warehouse? Can you model the company completely shut? And I was like, well, no, actually, I want another ten million pounds of stock. So you know, the, these were these kept me so busy during what you know, as we all know, were probably two of the darkest years for lots of for lots of people. So I was very fortunate that I still had a business that I could, uh, you know, that I you know that kept me mentally mentally fresh, really.
1: Yeah, fantastic. That's great. So to so talking a bit about the highs and the lows, um, Lawrence, we could chat for hours, couldn't we? Gosh, there's so much to dig into. <laughs> I must let you go at some point. Um, but thinking about the, the sort of the highs and the lows, um, over, you know, I guess your entire kind of business life, career, personal life, whatever, you know, what, what's the thing you're most proud of, you think?
0: Oh, um Yeah, honestly, I'm most proud of of. The culture that we that we've built to the business, and then people would say like, you know, what's the culture of Current Body? And actually, it it's only built by the you know by the people who are in it. And again, Simon sort of talked about kind of having the whole trinity of good culture, good place to work, good pay, and having all of those things together. And not many companies have got it. Um, but the people that we've built and the environment we've built here is generally it feels like a really really good place to be. Um, Somebody you speak to here might tell you completely different, of course, but I'm, you know, most people seem to, you know, we've got a great retention and you know, an amazing senior management team. We do great events, and actually, when I look at it, that's that is what I'm most proud of: the people within the business um, and seeing some of the people who've gone from, you know, I've had some people here from, you know, for the full journey nine years. I've also seen some people exit the business and exit with value, and that's a huge thing for me. and You know, to see someone actually, you know, often people, you know, get small shares in businesses, but they don't ever get the value out of it. And we actually have seen people get some value out of current body and get their reward for the hard work they did in really tough times. And that's been a that's been very, very rewarding for me.
1: Mm, brilliant. No, I think, you, I mean, you can see the energy and the love you've got and the passion. And you, you made that point earlier that if you love what you do, then you'll never work a day in your life kind of, you know, sort of concept, I suppose, around it. Whether
0: not it's, not that, it's not that good.
1: Yeah, yeah. And whether it's 100% true, but the general gist we get. Um, can you think of the, the sort of the toughest thing you've had to deal with or, the, you know, a real low point where you thought, oh, my God, what the hell am I doing? Or how am I going to get through this or how are we going to get through this? I've had
0: loads of tough, loads of, loads of tough points and um, try not to dwell on them, to be honest, but I'll give you a flavour of a few of them. We've had a fire. I don't think it gets much worse than a fire in the warehouse when stocks hard to come by, spent a lot of money on it. It's niche stock as well. It's not like you can just go, oh, I'll buy another 50 toothbrushes. It's, you know, it's something that you've, you've, you've spent a long time sourcing. And, um, you know, I got a phone call one day from my warehouse manager at 6.30 in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, I think it was. And, um, he's still my warehouse manager and he, uh, he said, we, we've had a fire. And I said, oh, is it bad? And he said, not really. Obviously he didn't want to tell me too much what well, I got down there and absolutely the whole warehouse and the whole office that had just been built from scratch was completely ruined. And the staff were stood outside and I just thought, "What?" I? and I was ready. I genuinely, I think I was ready to give up at that point. I was like, I'm absolutely done with this. And, um, you know, and then I just went and 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 Jack is my warehouse manager just said, come on, let's get going. And we just started wiping the tables down and, you know, got back at it. Um, and I suppose that's, you know, when you look at tough times, I know that's not, you know, a private equity deal falling through or a huge stock deal falling over. But that's a, a personal thing and a human thing because you've got staff standing outside. Um, so that was that was very difficult. <coughs> Excuse me. And then. COVID was incredibly difficult, um, not least I just felt for the staff and and the situations they were in, the uncertainty that they had. I used to make videos every week on a Sunday night and and put a video up for everyone to kind of tell them the good things that were happening during the week and some of the bad stuff. I'd usually be sat there with a glass of wine and, you know, in gym gear or whatever it was. It was just to kind of, hi, everyone, this is where we're at. Thanks for all your, you know, for all your help. Um, and the thought that people, I built this office here that no one was ever going to actually come to, um, you know, who knew what was going to happen. So that COVID was incredibly difficult, but as I said to you before, much harder for other people than it was for me. And 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 you know, the amount of adversity that people have come through, you know, I'm a huge admiration for all the other areas of of business world that had to deal with it. Um, and then I suppose raising money is, you know. When any entrepreneur talks about a private equity route, the highs and lows of raising money, of being turned down, of having offers that don't come through, all of, those, all of those deals are highs and lows on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly level. And until you experience those highs and lows, I don't think you can ever articulate them And you've been through it, so you probably get a gist for, for, for what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, you know, that's it. I think it's really important that we do talk about the tough times because, you know, that's how we learn. It's how we grow. It's, it's about being honest about, you know, all of the... You know the, the business is tough; it's not easy. Um, and I think uh, I always like to try and bring a, a balanced perspective. You know, when we're talking on these podcast interviews, because then that can help other people that might be going through tough times and thinking, "Gosh, well, if Lawrence can do that, then actually that's given me a, some encouragement to, to, you know, take it on as well." So I think if, that's I, can it, if
0: I can do it, anyone can do it. Generally, I, I believe that. But I, but but you know, selling product, whatever it is, and, and Selling anything is very, very difficult when you sit around a boardroom table and you say, Oh, you know, I'm gonna do another 20 million this year, whatever. When you actually go into the numbers and how many more products you have to sell, private equity people generally finance people they've never sold anything, have they? They've never sold thing, they've never sold a product in their life. But actually, every product you sell is very, very difficult to do in any category that you sell in. And I'm a great believer in that. And until you've been down that route, you can't quite explain how hard it is and so every business is difficult and everyone is every product every service that you sell is a challenge
1: Mm, yeah I know it's that's it isn't it so um yeah hang on for the ride it'll be a good one but it's probably be a bit rocky along the way (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, exactly so we're gonna we're gonna come to a few final questions um shortly but before i do that you you've gone international um have you had how have you had to adapt sort of culturally really in order to be successful in those markets we were talking about that when COVID happened, that you were over in China. I spent a lot of time doing business in China when I was the MD of the emerging markets for TUI. So just one example of a market, you know, very, very different. Couldn't be more different to, to the UK. Actually, it's probably polar opposite. Um, but yeah, with your international growth, how have you sort of dealt with the different cultural aspects of that?
0: Really good question again. And, and if we take China, China is probably the biggest cultural shock compared to all of the other territories that we sell in and let's be honest a lot of the other territories are quite similar in terms of how e-commerce is treated in china it's completely different everything's done pretty much through tmau so a completely different platform apart from anything else and then again going back to product and i genuinely when i whenever i talk about current body it's all about product it's all about what the, you know what people actually want And in china they want something completely different number one they're educated in beauty far more than anyone in the west absolutely you know we call them kind of skin intellectuals that's kind of how how you know that's the terminology that's often talked about and they also start anti-aging at 18 19 20 so not only are they different in how they shop and what they want to know and the knowledge they want to get out of the um The platform, wherever it's sold, they're also a completely different demographic. So it couldn't be more different in terms of that. And then, of course, it's 60, 70% of our entire market is in beauty devices in China as well. So you've got to adapt. So we had to find the right partner to work with out there. We had to understand the market. We had to understand the customer. And then you have to understand how the customer shops and they shop in a completely different way. And, you know, look at live streaming out in China. I am sure at some point, you know, I know we do it to a different extent on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook. But at some point, live streaming will become far more of a um, of a medium for way people buy these types of products. And we've tended to follow China in that, in that respect, in my category, certainly. And so that's the biggest one. Actually, in a lot of the other parts of the world, it's uh, quite similar. And we haven't talked about this, but even though I'm an online business, I have a huge belief and I've invested a huge amount as well in offline marketing. I still like seeing things in newspapers and in magazines. And I believe that building our brand and building the category is as much offline as it is online. And I think that crosses all territories.
1: Mm, yeah. So the whole omni-channel approach. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good point. Good point. Fantastic. Well, they, they, I could talk to you all day, Lawrence. I really, could. But before I ask you my final questions, um, you know the whole sort of body image and pressure that people are on to un- to look good, you know. And I think there's a lot out there, in particular social media. You know, sometimes that can be a negative side of social media. Can't you know, young people feeling that they should look a certain way. And 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 I suppose that aspect, that social responsibility, being in the sector you're in. Um, how do you how do you kind of navigate through through that side of things I know you were talking about being very open and honest about the products and the results etc um, but it is quite a contentious sort of uh, topic isn't it really
0: yeah and, and it's um it's very topical at the moment and you know it's I'm talking about I mean I think first of all a lot of this starts with the clinics and the aestheticians and the doctors and how they treat their patients because that kind of follows on to then people buying products online. It's often how people hear about these things. And so what you'll see now is there's quite a big shift, isn't there? You see a lot of aestheticians now talking about it's not what you treat, it's what you don't treat. So that's a really important, and I've learned that um, over the years as well. And secondly, they're starting to reverse some of the things they did. So instead of like people having these kind of alien features, whether it be big lips and, and what you've seen, you've now seen a shift towards a much more natural appearance. So that's helped us because it means that less invasive treatments have become more popular. So I've had less of a job explaining, well, actually, here's a product that can help you with this and it's not going to do that to you, et cetera. But the other thing I read recently, which I think is actually here to stay, and it was really interesting, I can't remember which newspaper or magazine it was in, but there's a shift from anti-aging to, and I think you even said healthy, there's a shift from anti-aging to healthy. Look, you can't stop people getting older. You can always look healthy and you can feel healthy and have a healthy mind. And actually, I've started to talk to my marketing team a little bit about that mindset and whether actually that's a really important way of treating our customers, because everyone wants to look healthy. If you spend 20 minutes with an LED mask, you will look healthy afterwards. Will it make you look five years younger? Probably not. Okay, so then you're absolutely right. How do we make sure that that vision of mine and that kind of you know being sensible in those 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 um uh, aspirations for 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 what people think they see on instagram comes across on the site and that's just giving honest information and not saying this is going to improve your you know lines by you know every single time you use it over a course of treatments yes it may help you but it's not going to dramatically change the way you look so we're fortunate that we've got this way of telling people because we've got we're an expert we can We've not got that many products. We can, you know, if you've got thousands of SKUs on a generalist website, it's hard to tell the story, isn't it? But if you've got an expert with few products, you should be able to tell the story in a much more, um, you know, in in a way in which the cust customer deserves to to hear. And that's the challenge. And over the next sort of three four years of the business, my challenge always to my marketing team is: can you give that information and remain expert and remain. Um, honest in the results that you're going to give if you sell that product
1: yeah brilliant I love that because as I say you know you, you all have as as a business leader whichever sector you know there is a there is a responsibility that comes with with that doesn't there and that, I think I, that approach that you have and that shift in, in healthy you know almost looking good at any age regardless of age I think is is what it's all about you know someone like Helen Mirren is is an amazing role model isn't she for older women that she just looks amazing you know but she said I am the age I am you know and this is me warts and all <laughs> and I still well, look gorgeous. you is
0: absolutely right and I, but I think the shift anti-aging to health I think that's a really interesting dynamic and unlike like I was really, uh, I was actually fairly inspired when I read it. I need to go and dig it out after this to find out where it was, because I'm sorry I can't tell you. But um, I think that makes a lot, I, for me, that makes a lot of sense. And it's uh, a good outlook for these and types achie- of course. And it's achievable. It's and
1: achievable it's for achievable.
0: anyone. And that's important, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, Lawrence, I've got a last couple of questions. Um so, but before I ask that, where can people find you? What's the best way to connect with Current Body? Obviously, the website, but yeah, anywhere else that yeah,
0: can... currentbody.com. Obviously, Instagram, Facebook. So, and I, I think we now have a Facebook community as well. I'm actually not on Facebook, so that's terrible, isn't it? But um, you know, I, I don't have time for for some of those things. But I kind of mooch around on certainly Instagram and TikTok and 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 the and the like. Um, but yeah, currentbody.com. And um, if anyone wants to have a look at the products, that would be yeah. You know, Welcome to go and have a look at some interesting stuff on there, certainly.
1: Fantastic. That's great. So when you look back over your illustrious business life, personal life, everything you've been through, can you think of the best piece of advice you've been given, Lawrence, or a really good piece of advice that sort of stayed with you? Yeah, I suppose to
0: give you a piece of advice that's um, relevant to people starting up a business. And I think, and it was given to me by one of my, well, actually won't name him, but like actually by one of my non-execs. And and that is that if you're going to do something like this, and I, honestly, it's kind of like something I've taken to anything I do, whether it's managing a football team or playing in whatever, you know, cricket cricket team that I play for is you've got to give it everything. You've got to be all in. Um, and I think the mistakes that sometimes, I hate using the word entrepreneurs, but you often find people do lots of different things in the early stages when they're a kind of entrepreneur, if you like. You might have lots of little interests and they're, you know, in all sorts of pies at, 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 at that stage of their business life, but if you want to do something, you've got to be focused and you've got to be all in it and I think that's the best advice I was given because without that, I might have carried on actually doing lots of different things and learned, you know I probably could have done a few different different bits of it within the aesthetic and beauty industry, could have carried on selling product into clinic, could have carried on working with doctors in clinics to sell different treatments, but actually no are you all in here, Lawrence, or you're not all in? And that's, you know, for me, for anyone starting out, if you're going to give it a go, you've got to give it a proper go.
1: Fantastic. What a brilliant piece of advice. It's obviously um, stood you in good stead as well, so that's great to hear. Um, And can you think of any sort of poor advice or, you know, advice that that you took that you regretted or maybe you ignored and you were really glad you'd ignored it? I've had loads of bad
0: advice, loads (laughs) of bad advice. And you'd asked me this one, so I'm I'm trying to think of one, one particular one, but. That that's sort of relevant to the business as well. But um, I'm gonna. I, I don't mind naming it. But my chairman always used to say to me, when wherever we have a problem, we say like play. You know, and and he'd use it. And I actually don't really like football analogies and sports analogies. But people tend to use them in business all the time, don't they? And they kind of say like, yeah, play, I don't know what the, what the one is like. Play the game, not the occasion. Whatever, whatever it would be. He used to he used to say something like, you know, make sure that you deal with the issue, not with the person. Right, Or, you know, that, something along those lines. And it's completely wrong, because the issue is often down to the personalities involved. And, I, you know, you may think, you know, we could probably have a discussion around this. I actually don't believe it's to do with the issue. It's usually somebody creating the issue. So you've got, you know, business is all about people. And there's always a way of finding a solution for that. You've got to speak to the people involved and you've got to make them understand what it is that you're trying to achieve or not achieve, what it may be. But it's absolutely not the issue that's the problem. It's always the person.
1: Ooh, very good.
0: He's the wrong, he's the wrong, so he's the completely the wrong way around and he still says it.
1: <laughs> well, maybe when he listens to this podcast and he <laughs> might actually stop he's, saying it. You I, never don't think know. Get,
0: I don't think he'll get this far into the podcast to be honest, but I might send him the snippet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fantastic! You've got a shout out. So the last question: This podcast is called Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Lawrence, um, when you hear that, what does it mean to you?
0: Yeah, it, honestly, you know, it, you know, I thought about this, and it's not, you know, it's not about me. I like, in this in this type of thing because I'm, I'm none of, the, I'm absolutely none of those things. But it it always means the people who have absolute adversity in their life, and I have the most respect for people who genuinely. Do things from absolute adversity, and whether they build things, whether they play sport, when they've got disabilities, whatever that may be, all of those three, three things apply to them. And you know, I don't believe it's a business thing; it's just a human thing. Someone who can do that, you know, I also think you know, people often say, "Oh, you can do whatever you like in life." Yeah, you know, I think you can to some extent, but it's it, it's never quite like that. But the people who manage to do it from from a, from an area which it looks impossible, I think, always those those three things. So, you know, adding those to a to a business scenario is often, you know, I just think it's, you know, it's not almost not the right thing for them. The people who do it from really tough challenges in their lives, whether they've lost people, whether they've been injured, whether they've been, you know, whatever that may be, those are the three attributes that they all have
1: oh yeah fantastic well what a brilliant answer and Lawrence it's been an absolute delight talking to you thank you so much and um, I can't wait to see what happens next with Current Body and with uh, Lawrence Newman himself
0: well it's been a pleasure as well I really enjoyed it and uh, hopefully not saying you need any of these products by the way but um, hopefully uh, some will arrive on your doorstep and you can uh, can let me know what you think of them
1: I will I can't wait I'm sure I'll be a new customer Lawrence (laughs)